Hi folks, it's Dan Lenny here with another Industry Insights. Now this one is really digging into the archive. This is a podcast I did with Justin Layton back in 2010. And for reasons that are beyond my comprehension, I can't really figure out why I didn't post it, but it sort of sat on the hard drive and never quite found its way onto the site. So I've dug this out because it's actually a really interesting conversation. Justin is a stills photographer primarily, um, and Justin works with the Top Gear program. Now, BBC Top Gear's program, I think, is pretty much known around the world for the antics that the presenters get up to. And Justin is, and certainly was then, the resident photographer, worked for the Top Gear magazine and did a lot of the stills on set. Uh, and I came across Justin partly because he did this amazing film, uh, which was actually all, was all a series of stills, which um, I think just sort of goes to show the creativity of taking motion from a photographer's standpoint and not necessarily being confined by the conventions of traditional filmmaking. So this podcast was done over the phone, so the audio quality is a little bit poorer than what we're hoping to do with the rest of these podcasts. But again, I, I urge you to, to listen to the information. The information is really key. Lots of great insights. Justin's a very experienced photographer and really talks about the, the realities of shooting motion and, and, and looking at motion from a photographer's standpoint. And uh, maybe we'll catch up with Justin again, given that it's sort of two years on, nearly three years on since we did this podcast, to see how much his work has changed in that time. But um, this is a really interesting chat, so over to the podcast. Well, hi folks, welcome to this month's podcast. I'm joined this month by an incredibly talented photographer, Justin Layton. Now, Justin is uh, primarily a photographer, although he rather modestly says he's been dabbling in video for about five years. Um, Justin, welcome to the call today. How are you doing? I'm very well, Dan. How are you? Very good, thank you. Justin, try, if you can, for anyone who's not aware of your work, can you just, and, and this, this podcast goes out worldwide, how would you describe the type of photography that you specialize in? Um, well, at the moment, I'm, I'm a, ostensibly a car photographer. I've been, I, um, been shooting cars now for the last um, four years. Um, I've been sort of taking pictures for nearly 30 years now. I can't believe it. But yeah, I switched over to taking cars about four years ago, and that's probably the majority of work I do now is sort of automotive-based, automotive even though I still do sort of occasional portrait jobs and, and other bits and pieces. But... So before we come back into the kind of stuff you're doing just now, just for the benefit of those people who might be listening and who are new to photography or to filmmaking or to the visual media, tell, tell us a bit about, you know, a plotted history of your career. How did you get started? Um, I started, uh, I set up a magazine back in the early 80s, early to mid 80s uh, with some friends. We were all very young. And um, we also gave ourselves grand job titles. And uh, I'd never picked up a camera before, but I said, well, I'll be picture editor because I'd had an like, interest in photography. Um, and then, yeah, sort of set the magazine up. I started shooting pictures for them and thoroughly enjoyed it. And then uh, lucky, got a lucky break and got to work on The Guardian um, when I was about 18. And at 19, I joined The Telegraph and worked there to I well, to about the year 2000, really, on and off, as a freelance. And 
I similarly come through a, came through a news background, and, and something I often say to aspiring filmmakers is just how what, what a treat it was for us all to be able to work in news because you have to just work so quickly. You learn to adapt, you learn to see a picture, take it. What, what were your experience of working in news? I'm very, very similar to yours, Dan. I mean, I, I think um, anyone, and there are a few of us about, some of your friends of yours and mine that we both know who um, came up from a news background, and I agree with you completely. I mean, it's, it's derided by some of the art establishment because it's not seen as um, it's seen as a bit of by trade. But um, one thing news did uh, teach me, sort of foreign news and domestic news, was you don't get a second chance and you do have to think on your feet and work very, very quickly and to a very high standard and um, and make it look very easy. And, it, and it, as we both know, it, it isn't. Uh, I think it's one of the best trainings uh, that I ever had was those years on um, on newspapers and news magazines uh, and news agencies because it's, it's it basically people can't believe now how quickly I work because I'm so used to being being able to give them 15 minutes rather than five days to get a shot as it were. I think the other thing that, that's very striking about news and and not to put people off who may never get an opportunity to work in news but for me it was it was the repetition it was the fact that every single day you went into the office you had no idea what you were going to end up shooting and in the same day you could be literally shooting the queen of england in the morning and shooting a football player in the afternoon and 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 i think the 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 interesting thing there was just how if you shoot day in, day out, year after year after year, you just get so much experience. And I think some of the aspiring filmmakers today look at films in Vimeo and go, wow, I want to shoot at this. What, what, what thoughts do you have towards that, that sense of repetition? I mean, absolutely. I mean, this, you know, again, sort of our careers are very similar in that way. I mean, I can you know, remember being sent to Northern Ireland um, to cover rioting in the Ardoyne and then getting a plane straight back home and photographing John Major that afternoon still stinking of petrol. You know, that's, you know, getting changed in the car on the way. But I just think that to be able to, I think for young or people starting out, I think it's a very good, um, a good thing to be able to adapt to a situation. So if you do have, um, even if you set your own brief or your own agenda, uh, things do come up because if you're dealing with people, and you're dealing with light, you're dealing with you know travel, or you're dealing with anything that's there's a variable involved. You've got to be able to think on your feet and come back with something. I think that's that's the main thing is that we both had to do was there was no way that we just couldn't say oh well we couldn't get the picture or we couldn't get that frame. I just think it wasn't it was like you come back with something or don't come back. And I think if you just set yourself that sort of mindset that mindset that you will, you know, come back with something. Even if you can go back again and shoot it, always try and come back with something usable because you can always add it later on into whatever you're shooting and if it's a long-term project or if it's just a day job. Don't think that it's acceptable to come back with nothing, really. I, I think also the thing that always surprises me was you go to a job with a, a preconceived... You know, pre-visualisation is something we all do as image makers. Yeah. But in news, you, you could pre-visualise to a degree... But I was always, I'd say, nine times out of ten, pleasantly surprised when I got there. Because if you go with a, a plan, you can only improve that plan. And I, I think it always got me thinking, well, if the worst case scenario happens, at least I can fall back on this. But I mm. think more often than not, you ended up with something better because you had a plan. Oh, uh, you, have to, you have to be organized. I mean, that's one thing it's, it's taught 
I mean, you can be sort of as chaotic as you want in some other parts of your life, but professionally, you've got to be organized. You've got to check your gears working. You've got to check your travel itinerary. You've got to check you're getting there. I mean, I've always said that, the, you know, pressing the button is probably 5% of what I do, and that's the really fun bit. But the rest of it is making sure you get there, you get back, you know what's going to happen on the ground, you do your research, you know, you know what the weather's going to be like, you know, or who, you know, you know the contact people out there. If you've got a fixer, you speak regularly to them if they're on the ground, and you do as much prep as possible. So when you get there, you don't have to think, you know, God, where am I going, or what's happening, or God, I didn't realise there's going to be no moon tonight, or I didn't realise it was going to rain. Um, and I think you know all those all that preparation is is very very important. And you know just write stuff down, keep notes, because also keep notes of where you've been, because you may go back there again. So if you do find something on the ground locally, even in a sort of nice location or a good group of people or a good contact, always keep a record of that because you don't know when you're going to need that again. And, and now you're you're doing a lot of work with with uh, automotive, and and I suppose the the image that strikes in all of our mind is the classic glossy car commercial, but that's not exactly what you're doing, is it? No, no, I, I'm uh, I mean it's more than a sort of ed- editorial slant on what I do. I mean coming from an editorial background, um, and sort of almost like a storytelling background. Um, I think what I'm doing now is basically is shooting some of the stories and the ideas that I've, I've had over the years, but basically stick a car in them as well. So I was, you know, put up an idea to go off to do, you know, this, again, this is getting back to news. I mean, I did a, a story in North, northern Poland in 1986, and I came across this little town, um, which always in the back of my mind, I wanted to go back to to shoot a story. So it's been sitting there for about 20 odd years. Um, and a, a, an idea came up, an automotive story idea came up, and I thought that's exactly the right location. And I still had my notes from back then, um, and so I could put a proposal together to get the idea sold, and go off and do it. So again, you know, it's my previous life as it were clashing with my now life when it comes to the you know, professional life. Writing stuff down is so vitally important. You know, I recall I did my my photography degree at Napier in Scotland. Yeah. a few years ago now and in year one they, they they made us create a workbook and this was just an a4 hardback book where we wrote ideas down and took snaps and put things in and took all sorts of reference material and you know i've never thrown that away because it's there's something in the process of writing down even though we're all picture makers when you write things down it helps organize your thoughts and, and that's a classic case where you know you're absolutely right you've got to write things down and keep any ideas you have any reference points you have because you know there you go classic case 20 years later you're shooting a story in this small town in poland mm, i think it's you know against a lot of people um again it's sort of carrying a camera around with you everyone sort of you know this is the classic you know photographers always carry all you know filmmakers in his description even you know cinematographers i know dops always have a little lumix by their in their pocket or a little compact and they're, they're forever sort of shooting sort of like that, you know, little scenes or, and again, it's just building up that picture in your mind. If you, if you are going to story, if you want to tell a story, um, it's, you know, it's always those little elements, those little details, which are going to make the story better. You know, it'd be a, it'd either be a person or a, you know, or a street or a house or something like that, which will, which will jog your memory. So if you are doing a project, you can always go back and refer to that. I mean, there's some car, um, photographers that I know have the most amazing list of locations. 
um, and they're all, uh, you know, all reference points. And they can go back and, you know, exactly back to the same point. And every road, the condition of the road, where the sun is at certain times in the year. So if you do get a client that phones and say, like, we need to shoot something, you know, with this background or this, you know, this time of year, and you can always refer back to, you know, refer back to um, your notes and, you know, what you've sort of you've taken down in the past. I think that's what separates out um, very successful, commercially successful um, uh, filmmakers and photographers to people that sort of are struggling a bit, especially when sort of money's tight. Clients would much rather go to someone who's organized, who they can, you know, within all the variables that we both work to, will guarantee they can bring something back. And I think that's important to know that if you are spending other people's money, you need to respect that and come back with something. Well, I agree. I mean, you mentioned money there. You know, money, money in, in as long as I can remember in my career, which spans 20-odd years, has always been tight. There's never been a time where production had lots and lots of money. And I think some of the, the newer breed of filmmakers and photographers come out saying, oh, clients can't afford to spend this or the next thing. They you know, never I'm going to be been. a bit controversial here. I don't think they've ever had any money, and I don't think that's ever an excuse. You have to help the client fulfill their ambition effectively and efficiently and that I think comes down to just hard work you've got to really work hard to give the client incredible value I agree completely I just don't I think there's you know again as you get sort of older you know sort of longer in the tooth in the business you ever want to say oh do you remember those days and I think well no it's always been money has always it's never been an endless budget on things it's always I mean sometimes it's tighter than other times but you've always, you know, you never have the luxury of spending, you know, two weeks doing something. You know, if it was a rolling news story, you may be out there for two or three weeks, but you had to produce, a, you know, something every single day. So, you know, it wasn't like a, a, a you know, a one, a, you know, a one picture assignment last three weeks. You know, you'll produce, you're producing stories every single day for those three weeks you're out there. So you may well be on the same story, but there's a you know a you know, million and one different things that you're having to do every day, and you'd have to justify you know you being there because um, if you didn't, then you'd be asked to do it again. And wow. I think it's it's you know the, people sort of knock the money men in the business and the accountants, but you know I'll tell you one thing they do sort of you know keep us creative slightly more focused than what we should be doing rather than what we you know would like to be doing. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I shot Wish We Were Here, a big travel program in the UK yeah. here for a couple of years. And all my friends used to say, wow, that must be the greatest job in the world. Because, you know, people get excited. You say you were a cameraman. They were like, what do you work on? So you'd always tell them the kind of most popular program. But, you know, the reality was we'd get on a plane, land, get off the plane, shoot for five days, get back on the plane. And granted, it may be in a nice location. But, you know, I'm sure you've you are working. this. When, when, you, when you, get, you get to Heathrow Airport one afternoon, you go home and you're back at Heathrow Airport the next morning. It's not the most fun in the world when you're carting a lot of kit around. So there's not a lot of glamour involved. No, I mean, I, I, mean, I get this. I mean, now I've, you know, I, I have, you know, um, I, you know, I'm shooting cars now. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm having, you know, it's like a, a re a re sort of rebirth, I'm not putting it sort of too dramatically, but of, of my career because it was it has been something new and a reinvention and a new sort of set of clients and a new sort of you know a new way of, of, of working. Um, and it's but again it gets back to what I've been doing for years, what we've both been doing for years, which is, you know, getting told what you know, getting given a, a, a story 
researching that story, making it happen, getting on a plane, getting there, pulling, you know, again, working, working with myself, you've got to be up really early in the morning and you're both shooting all day to next location and you're getting that at the evening light. Um, and then you're looking at your, you know, looking at the works you shot that day. So it's not unusual to be pulling sort of 15, 20 hour days, you know, four or five hours sleep and then go and do it again because you don't have that you know, ability to wait for those little bits of light for a week, unless you're shooting a massive ad that is, but onto editorially, you know, you need to be coming back with stuff and in between time producing another couple of little stories to justify the, you know, the cost, you know, the, the reason you're there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lovely life in that way because we're doing something we love, but it's all the back end that people don't see. You see the, the images that you're putting out in the magazine or in the ad or whatever, but it's also the, you know, the, the backstory to that is it's, you know, it's, 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 it's blinking hard work and it, it, people don't need to be, you know, dissolutions of that. You do have to graft because there's, you know, there's people out there that are, are wanting to do it as much as you do. So, you know, you've always got to be you know, watching your back and watching what's coming up in the, on the horizon. And, and was it a conscious decision? You know, do you have a passion for cars? Was it a conscious decision to start going shooting cars? How did that happen? It was, it was, quite, it was quite bizarre in a way. I mean, it was, um, I've, always, I've always loved cars. I mean, I've always been a, um, I've always sort of bought the magazines and sort of gone to see sort of a bit of motorsport and followed F1 in a way. And, you know, I've always loved the, you know, Giorgiaro, one of the, designers of the Mark I Golf and other things and Pasta. I've always liked the design to do with cars and the, the amount of effort and cleverness that goes into them. I've always, you know, I always like chatting to engineers. You know, people think engineers are really boring, but I find I always found engineers, you know, really fascinating because they, they just make this stuff work. So um, I've just got an offer from actually from the Sunday Telegraph to shoot their car column every week. And I've never shot cars before. And it was basically great. You just you know a car every week, go off. You have got a day to go and produce you know, four or five pictures to stick in the newspaper. And that was that. Really, it just sort of developed from there. And I just sent some work again. You know, I've been doing this for so long, but I still have to do the putting together portfolio, cold calling people, sending pictures off. Hello, I'm Justin Layton. You don't know me, but which we all don't like doing, but we all have to do. And uh, Charlie Turner, who's creative director at Top Gear, picked up on the work and phoned me and said, um, yeah, do you want to come work for me? So tell us about, I, I, we've, we've got a mutual friend, Pat, who was the series mm. producer at Top Gear, and I know from some of the stories he told me, it's a, it's a pretty well-known program around the world now, Top Gear. You've got these three mad hat presenters who I think mm. really push the boundaries of, of, of what's possible in British television and the BBC as well. But that must produce some incredible opportunities and some unique challenges for you as a photographer. Mm. I mean, I've, I've, you know, when I started working in the magazine, they, they um, asked me to go and sort of shoot stills for, um, on the TV programme, which, um, again, I can't sort of, you know, talk too much about because it's, um, I will get shot. But uh, it does, I mean, the great thing about the programme is that they, what they get up to and what they do. But also, they're so willing just to try stuff. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're very content-hungry, and they're always looking for ideas, and, and they're always open to ideas. It's probably you know, one of the most open production teams, and they're always, you know, always willing to chat to you and speak to you. And they're very respectful of all the people that work there. You know, they do work with some of the best cameramen, the best sort of sound guys, 
the best sort of, you know, editors, the best colorists. Um, and it has a look which, you know, is, is being, is developed over time, but is, you know, is pretty slick. They're a very, very slick operation. Um, and you know, this, you know, the madcap stuff that comes out of on the television is, you know, involves a lot of, a lot of man hours, a lot of, you know, sort of cameraman hours, a lot of sound man hours and a lot of presenter hours. And they just do put in that time to actually make it look that way. And it's just amazing just, you know, walking into that as a, a stills photographer and watching these people at work. Um, and again, getting back to, you know, been playing with video and stuff for five years and never really, um, like the look of what you know, what I was getting out of using Z1s and stuff, but walking in and chatting to them, it was a, a you know for me it was the most amazing education, um, and just watching how it all happens really. And presumably, you know, when you shoot these 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 sometimes complex uh, travel log style pieces where you've got three, four, five, six cameras, and you're documenting them taking a journey across Europe or across Asia. Mm. Um, you're still trying to, you know, there's this five or six cameramen who are all shooting to the highest ability and one photographer and your job, I guess, is to document in stills the same kind of story. I mean, that must present its own set of challenges. Do you have to go oh, back and redo stuff? Uh, how, how oh, God, happen? no. That's, again, that's a news background comes in. It's just like one big... I mean, I'm used to working with a scrum with cameramen as well. I mean, I, I think I've gone, done elbow to elbow with Philip occasionally over the years and probably yourself. So I'm, you know, I'm quite used to working around cameramen, and it's basically I, tr I treat every sort of you know, every job as almost like it's um, you know Thatcher coming out on Downing Street or something. It's that hectic, and it's like a new scrum, um, and you're always trying to sort of not get the cameramen in shot. Um, and it's very sort of similar to to working in a news. You've got to sort of just come back and get you know get the picture every time, and it's you know it's enormous amounts of fun. I, I we were watching a couple of weeks ago um, the the episode with the Jeremy Clarkson, the main presenter, uh, driving a Robin Reliant to extreme, and I don't think I've watched a funnier piece of television in such a long time. Oh, we that were must have been a hoot to shoot. We were apt. I mean, you can always tell when something's working when we, we're basically behind the camera. We are all absolutely gut laughing. I mean, it was. You know, it was a, such a good, fun shoot to be on. I mean, the camera camera guys who've been, you know, with the program since, you know, its new format. I mean, they were all just absolutely wetting themselves with laughter. Um, and it just was, it, it, it was one of those pieces that just worked really well. And it was, you know, very, very funny to be on. And, you know, Jeremy did all his own stunts in it, which was, um, and it, but it also, he, he just, he's very, you know, he, he works, in his own way and you've got to be there to capture because you don't know exactly what he's going to do i mean he he will go completely sort of you know you know off on his you know off on his own and you've just got to make sure that you've got everything you can on film or you know on on video and it was it was an enormous it was just so funny it really was it was just you know we had we just you know the stuff they left out was because of the limitations of the time i mean they could have made that into probably an hour and a half feature and it would have you know, and everyone rolling around. It was brilliant. For, for anyone, perhaps in the States, who may not be able to see that, to just describe, uh, in essence, you know, what, what that shoot was about. Um, it was um, um, Jeremy taking a journey um, of a quite a, a, not a, not a very big epic journey, but I think from Sheffield to Doncaster, where he was born, in a three-wheeled car, which we know as the uh, Reliant Robin, 
which is probably a slightly um, uh, Carla, which is a bit of a figure of fun in this country after some other TV programs. Um, and on, on his way, bumping into uh, several uh, celebrities from the, uh, that part of the world, um, while uh, the car is very unstable and driven a certain way. And so he was crashing and um, rolling the car through a cricket pitch and through a news uh, broadcast and um, several other times as well, as I remember. So that was what it was about, really. It was about a, an epic journey to Jeremy Clarkson's birthplace. Well, well, we'll see if we can try and find a link online to post after this so people can check it out. Because it was, it was some of the best television I've ever seen. And, and tell me, what, what happens to the photographs you take? Is it used for PR? Is it used in magazines? How do they use um, it? I, sort of, I work for the brand, so it's used all over the world for sort of DVD covers and uh, used in the magazine as well, and also the foreign editions to the mag, which is... So, yeah, it's, it's used everywhere throughout the brand and, you know, just you know, all over the place, really. No, I never, I, I never really know. I just, I just sort of see it occasionally getting used. And the same with all these things. Once you've shot it, it's, um, it goes out of your hands, really. Now, sticking with Top Gear, we hooked up because I, you posted something on Twitter about mm. a Mercedes piece that you shot for Top Gear. And when, yeah. I, when I first watched that, I thought it was video until you told me it was just stills. T- talk me through that shoot. Well, again, it's, it was um, the shoot came about with um, ch- uh, chatting with the director Owen Trevor, who was we were shooting a thing called you know, the Power Test. If you know the program, where you watch it, there's a there's almost like a car test um, shot at Dunsfold, which is Top Gear's home track. Um, and again, on the Power Test, we we're always looking for um, new ways to look at the car in a static format. So Owen sent me uh, some links through to something he'd seen on the internet which was this you know this ad which was you know took you know again one of those you know two or three hundred thousand pound ads and he said, I looked at it and he said can we do this for you know three pounds fifty so I sort of had a look at it and we got this okay fine you know we just had a look at it and talked through how we could possibly shoot this and we tried it. Um, we had it the car one night in this hangar. Um, the car came in about nine o'clock, and we worked through to about four or five the following morning, trying to make it sort of work either with TV cameras or with um, sort of video mode or with sort of different loads of different formats. But at the end, again with all these things, uh, the, sim- the, the simplest solution was the most effective which basically what we did is we set up one Nikon D3. Um, we shot um, a very simple plate shot, um, which was the car just as it, you, your eye could see it. So it was very dark in there. So there's basically just a slight silhouette of the car in a dark industrial warehouse. Um, we got some Kino flows. And the director, um, so we got some, I think some four foot or six foot Kino flow single tubes. And we just ran the uh, Kinos on that eight second exposure over the cars. And we did that a few times with the side to side on shot. Um, and then with the overlay function, which I think the D, you know, D3 has, we can lay three pictures on top of each other in camera. We had a look at it and it was actually looking really good. You get a you know, line running across the floor, one coming across the ceiling, one going across the side. So we basically, um, after we saw the, the possibilities of that, we just moved the car around 
and just went a bit wild with keynotes, sort of bouncing them through the cars and, you know, basically hand them through the car to someone else because the exposure is so long, the person ghosts out or disappears or you can take them out reasonably well in post. So it looks like the light's floating all about the place. It's, it's and then we, <laughs> Sorry, go on. So we then handed that to um, this fantastic um, editor and colorist and post people who then spent um, <laughs> probably about a thousand times longer than we took to shoot it to, uh, to, uh, to basically um, animate it. I think there's two things there that, that strike me and it, it, it always makes me smile is when, when you're on the outside of what we do, it all seems like this dark art and all very magical. But in fact, there's two things. One is collaboration. And secondly, it's just, it's guerrilla filmmaking or guerrilla photography. You know, we're on location, just pretty much making it up as you go along. Total, totally. It's a total suck it and see production, I call it. It was what is going to work. And again, it's getting back to what we were saying earlier about a news background or background. You know, I'm always in the mindset when it's, you know, I'm going to drive myself, my family around the bend of this, but it's always, I cannot come back with nothing. You know, I've, it, it, I can't, can't, I just physically can't do it. It just makes me feel, you know, really quite unwell. If someone sets me a brief within reason, of course, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, sort of, you know, move, moving, um, moving a mountain, but, you know, within reason, and I know, I know it can be done in my own mind, and it's just figuring out how to do it. Someone, uh, a cameraman called Jim Gobreth, who was a BBC Scotland cameraman, said to me mm. many, many years, he was kind of my mentor, because I think we've all got a mentor in our lives, someone who's really oh, absolutely. absolutely. And he said, you should always strive for perfection, because if you mm. strive for perfection, you always achieve excellence as a minimum standard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had someone, again, I had someone in my early career that said the same thing to me. I mean, he was a South African lighting cameraman who became a photographer. Um, and, you know, he was, you know, again, was very, very similar. He just said, you know, just, just strive for it and you'll fail 90% of the time. He said, but that's okay. As long as you keep sort of, you know, pushing, pushing it as much as you possibly can and trying, you know, within your abilities, the best, you know, the best you possibly can and asking questions all the time and learning all the time. I just think that's, you know, what's the great thing about what you guys are doing is that, you know, I'm learning, you know, when I, you know, when I started looking at, you know, the 5D2s and things, you know, one of the first thing I did was check out Philip and check out you. And you see, you know, I've got no, you know, I've got no, um, there's no sort of, uh, I don't feel bad about doing that. I've been in this business long enough and I know stuff, but I'm always learning, always picking up little tips and techniques and trying to speak to people and just, and just keep learning. Well, learning is vital, but also failing. I don't think that mm. anyone understands just how important failing is. And you have oh, to, you fail every single day. But the vital thing is, there's a caveat here. You fail, but you learn fast. I know. I've, I had this just, just recently. I mean, I mean, I'm actually shooting a, um, my first proper sequence for Top Gear as a, as a cameraman. And this is like a really big deal for me. And it's given me a massive chance because I've been really trying to, you know, push... Um, you know this, you know this um, HD DSL, whatever you call it, DSLR photography, and the possibilities of it to give a certain look on a certain film sequence. I've been really pushing this, and I've gone out on tests with directors and with the production staff. You know, just off my own bat, just saying let's go and play with this. And some, and you know, went out the other night, and it was a disaster. But I learned massively from there. Difference between no light and low light. And again, it's something you think, well, 
you should know that already, but I didn't know it in the context of movie making. But then that was a, t that was a test. You know, we treated it as a test and we had the time and space to do it. And it was great. You know, I've got all the footage back. I've gone through every minute of it and see what worked and see what didn't work. And also what could be post, you know, worked up in post that didn't look very good in the camera. Testing, testing, testing. I mean, I, I use that phrase all the time. People often, you know, we, we create training products and yeah. we work very hard to put as much information as possible. And with the best will in the world, we'll never cover everything because we're trying to lead people down a certain route to say, here's some parameters to work within. But often we have some people who come back and say, oh, well, I didn't learn this, didn't learn that. The fact is you have to just test. You have to find out if that particular technique is going to work in a particular environment. And that's the journey for me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the fun bit of it. I mean, again, it's, it's taking pictures um, should be the, you know, should be going out there and you should be wanting to do that. I mean, I had a, a friend of mine when I first started who came into um, a, a bit of family inheritance and everyone's saying, you know, it, again, you know, it was all 20 years old at the time and he came into sort of, you know, something like 15 grand. And, you know, what he spent that on was, was studio hire. He wanted to perfect, he wanted to be a fashion photographer and he wanted to perfect what he was doing. And he said, I'm just going to spend a good chunk of this money hiring studios and shooting tests. And he did it for three months. I mean, it was a privileged position to be in and a lot of us don't have that time to do it. But he was, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to spend time perfecting his art and his skill and having that space to do it in. And it was just, you know, it was fantastic to see. I mean, we don't have to go to that extreme, but... You know, every you know, a couple of days a month, I set aside for for testing. You know, for a low light test or a, or a, or a you know, so especially with with um, moving to sort of you know using uh, D3s and 5Ds. I don't know, and very few of us know exactly what all the parameters are because every time we think it's going to fall over, it seems to succeed, and then we go on and try and make it fall over again. And if you, the only way we're doing that is by going out and testing and also sharing information with people. And I think that's what's so great what's happening at the moment is that there's, because of the internet and what you, know, you guys are doing, there's never been such a, a great forum for sharing information before. And I, and think, I, think, that, and I think technology is, you know, it's so accessible now. The quality you can achieve with very low-cost kit there, there is no barrier now. And I think, actually, if anything, there's a, the opposite is true that I think there's a little bit too much reliance on what kit you're using, which, which track you're using, how you're achieving certain shots. And actually, coming back to the news thing, we used to have, uh, on, in video, we had a standard lens, a tripod, and a camera. We didn't have tilt-shift lenses. We didn't have extreme wide angles. We didn't have all these wonderful toys, and, and I say toys, tools that we have yeah. now. But it's, but it's about working to a very tight set of parameters and being imaginative. I think so. I mean, it's, you know, I started off shooting on, on film. And again, that's coming back to what's going on now with digital. I mean, to me, it's far more like shooting Kodachrome than it is like shooting negative film. And I started off my life shooting transparency, which had you know, no latitude. And, you know, if you blew out the highlights, there's no coming back. You know, you, you know, you know shadows are too crunched. There's no going back again. And I think, you know, people need to go, you know, again, shooting on manual and actually, you know, coming back and, uh, and just going out there and, and shooting stuff, you know, just take a 50 and a, and a camera out and, you know, just, just shoot pictures, just shoot pictures, shoot footage and come back and have a look at it and play with it all the time. You need to have that passion to do it because it's, 
you can't be, you know, you, you, it's it's no it's, it's no use you know, sort of totally relying on other people's how other people see the world. I mean, you need to go out there and, and you know, you might want to go out there and shoot everything in a certain style, and that'd be great as long as you're coming back with something. There's no right sort of right or wrong way to do this, I don't think, because you know we're all we're all sort of feeling around in the dark a lot of the time anyway. It's all so new and it changes every sort of. Now, I wish sometimes the camera manufacturers would just stop inventing for a minute just to give us a breath to, uh, to catch up with ourselves. But, of course, thank God that these boffins aren't going to. And they're just coming out with more and more sort of wonderful things. But, again, they are tools. You know, if you're, you haven't got an idea how to shoot with them, then it's, you know, they're not going to, you know, it doesn't matter what you've got, how much money you've got. You haven't got that passion there. You haven't got that interest in it. It ain't going to work for you in my book. But and, and how are you feeling about, you know, the, 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 this move with DSLR photography moving to HD video. I'm. Ter- I mean, I've been. I've been. Oh, let me say, I did my first conversion course uh, five years ago because I wanted to. Because one, I could see it commercially where it was going with the internet, but stills are oh, great and all that. But you know, it's going to be moving images. But to tell you the truth, I'm shooting on the Z ones and things. It never did it for me. I could. It never. It never, the aesthetic of it never felt right for what I wanted to say. It sounds a bit ponty, but you know what I'm saying. It, it almost looked like video, and it, I never liked that look. I never liked that, you know, everything in focus. I mean, it's great in a new situation when you're coming back with, you know, it's got to be that way. But I wasn't shooting it. I was shooting stills in that way, but not video. Video was more of a personal thing. And I could never get the look I wanted. It, it never sort of satisfied me. It never made me sort of, I never really got that sort of buzz from it. And then looking at sort of using the kit I actually recognize, which is the, you know, sort of the 5Ds and the D3Ss, um, it felt more comfortable for me to shoot that way. I mean, I know that they're not as user-friendly as, you know, a proper ENG camera or, you know, some other kit. But for me personally, I recognize where all the buttons are. And so my learning curve on that way was a lot a um, lot less steep than if I went out to go and sort of learn how to use a red or something, which is, you know, a far more of a proper inverted commas, commas film camera. So for me, it actually was quite um, a eureka moment. I did thoroughly enjoy it, and it brought a smile to my face, and I thought, I really want to do something with this. And do you think, do you see in the next sort of 18 months, let's say, clients increasingly perhaps saying oh justin you know can we can we try this little video thing out i mean where, where do you see it going for um for that side of the business um i think um yeah i mean i'm getting that sort of you know bits and pieces already i mean if i can make this some sort of projects i've got going on at the moment work then i will be, and again with the the, for the mercedes thing and i've got some i've just done some um a series of interviews in dublin with um uh, another little project I'm working on with nothing to do with automotive, but again, it was you know it's it, I can yeah something I'm sort of I can see in the next year or so next eight months it'll be it will start becoming an income stream should we say it'll start becoming sort of part of what I do rather than something I do almost outside of what I do as my day job. I just want to touch briefly on the uh, the photograph or the series of photographs you have on your homepage, where there is what. I would guess is a real grand piano being dropped from a crane on a car. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that's not done in post? No, no, that is actually a real, real grand piano and a real car, and it really is being dropped. It's a, 
it's a Top Gear running joke about dropping pianos on Morris Marinas. So it's um, if you sort of follow the program a lot, you realise that there seems to be a lot of pianos dropped on a lot of cars. So it's um, it was yeah. I just find it quite funny. I was quite like... And a great example of you've got one tick. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, no, that is definitely, yeah, that is definitely a sort of... You, there's no, no more grand pianos can be found halfway up a mountain in, in France. And Morris Marinas aren't that easy to come by either. So, yes, it's a one-take-only thing. So, logistically, that's a fairly well-planned shoot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was not... Um, it was, yeah, it was part of... Um, it was part of the TV shoot, and it's... Yeah, the, the piano was uh, was brought out. Well, so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to you more about Top Gear, but I understand that there is a, there's a confidentiality thing because it is such a, a, a groundbreaking program. So let's just move on a bit to yeah. really, you know, some advice for, let's say, aspiring photographers and filmmakers. You know, maybe the next step is from enthusiast to pro. It can be quite a daunting one, particularly oh, when they're potentially key. going up against photographers like yourself. What, what advice would you offer to someone thinking about turning pro? Um, I'd say be organized, be good on the phone, um, be good with clients. I mean, you could be the best photographer in the world or the best filmmaker in the world. If you don't know how to deal with people or to deal with clients, or um, then, you know, you might as well just keep it as a hobby, really. I think it's, it's important to be able to collaborate with people um, and to be able to you know, speak to people. It's a people thing. It's, again, all these things you're dealing with people, um, and you've got to be able to deal with them. You've got to be able to put people at their ease if you are going to be shooting you know, groups of people or even if so, you know, working with actors or, mo- or models. You've got to be able to put them at, put them at their ease and to get, the, you know, to get the most out of them. It sounds, it sounds quite cynical, but you're there to do a job, and you've got to get the most out of the people you're working with. I think that's the biggest thing, be, you know, really practice your people skills. Because I always found you get your first job of your showreel or your portfolio, but the second job you always get off get from how you were. And if you were a pain in the ass to deal with, then you might as well not get that client lost. And and if you know perhaps you don't want to go pro, but you are looking to improve the work you do, so the the, the pro things less of a less of a. a requirement. Oh, just improving your. Uh, I mean, testing. You know, test to talk to people. You know, shoot. You know, shoot stuff. Look at it. Put it up on websites and forums, and get sort of you know people criticising it and looking at it and praising it. I think that's the main thing. Keep shooting, getting out there. It's such a great opportunity that you, me, you and I never had, which is the internet. You know, you have got people out there willing to look at your work and and, and offer some sort of criticism. And even they just say that was great. How did you shoot that? But keep putting stuff up there. You know, I'm guilty of not doing this enough. So, you know, but just, just practice your technique. Learn. Speak to people that know more about it than you do and learn from them. Get involved in debates with this stuff. Go to sort of, you know, training courses. Go to seminars. And just get involved in the world that's out there because, the, you know, again, the convergence between stills and film is closing, but also the convergence between very good people that don't want to make their living from it and people that do is very close as well. There's some great filmmakers out there that don't want to make a living out of it, but they're still what they're producing is still as valid. So, you know, you don't have to earn money to be a filmmaker. You just go out there and do it in your weekends or your spare time. I and mean, that's great. Att- attending courses is, for me has always been the greatest reward, because not just for what you learn in the day, but for the people you meet and the collaborations that you, you, totally. you end up doing off the back of them. 
totally. I mean, that's that's the thing is, you know, you'll you'll find you'll find you'll be sitting there, you know, if you're not doing it as a job and you're doing, you know, you're doing you know your day job as it were, you'll you know if you go on a course, you'll be sitting in a room, probably for the first time in your life with people that have the same amount of passion for that you know for what they're doing as you do, and that is a great space to be in. It really is a great space to be in. You know, be if you're, you know, if you've never shot anything before and you want to improve go and do it and go and chat to people and you realize because it's quite you know being a photographer can be quite lonely sometimes because you're working by yourself and if you're you know you've been making little films by yourself again you're editing by yourself it can be quite a lonely experience and it doesn't have to be that way and i think it would improve improve your ability to actually, you know, abilities all around, be it sort of technically or, you know, or sort of sharing information, sharing advice, and also just making some friends as well, which you can keep in contact with over, over email. And if you are working on another project, these people's inputs are invaluable. You know, I've got people that I show work to, and it's invaluable, their feedback. And if you can, you know, create that network for yourself, then again, that is brilliant. You know, that's, that's really going to keep you going through those dark wee hours where you know, this edit's not working or I can't get this to work. And if you can sort of, you know, email a, email a friend and say, you know, I'm having difficulty with this, that's invaluable. It means you won't give up on the project project, and you'll probably complete it. Absolutely. I think one of, one of my little pet hates on the internet and blogs and forums is that whilst there's this incredible community, and I think that's a really positive aspect, I think people are too nice to each other. Someone posts a oh, blog and everyone just goes, oh, it's wonderful, it's so inspiring. I, I wish people no. were a bit more critical, but positive criticism you know constructive criticism helping each other to to become better well, i think you get that either you get the trolls who have got a sort of are you know hide behind their sort of you know this system on deployment and to, to snipe and be nasty which i find you know you get that everywhere and that's just that's so destructive and i thought wish people wouldn't do it i mean i've i've had it I, I did a project for The Guardian a few years ago with my family and we had to stop the comments because they started attacking my kids and it was like completely outrageous. Um, and that was my first sort of foray into it and it sort of made me smart a bit because I thought, you know, don't sort of, don't, <laughs> you know, don't, don't do that. But again, I think people, I think, sh- yeah, people shouldn't be afraid to be constructive and informed criticism it's always done me the world of good. And I think that that would be much better. And again, I agree with you. If there was people were willing to say, I really, you know, I like this, but, or that didn't work so well. And people to accept it as, but it's so difficult if you don't know the person to accept that form of criticism. But I think to have more informed, constructive debate and criticism about stuff would be, you know, really, really welcome. And people shouldn't be afraid to, to, to take criticism or to, you know, or to give it. I think that'd be, but I think it will develop. I think it's also new. I think there will be a way that um, I think people will start, you know, finding a way of, 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 criti- of being critical in a, in a constructive way. I think it's still very new then, and I think hopefully, you know, once it matures a bit more, then, you know, the comments will do as well. Yeah. So, Justin, what's next for you? What's, uh, what projects are you working over the next few months? Um, I'm... Working, I'm doing the last two shows at Top Gear, which um, uh, studio shoots, which are always good fun. And then the series finishes next week. Uh, and then I'm off, and then I'm doing another. I'm doing another uh, filming um, for the TV program, which, which hopefully will be out in autumn. And then I'm actually going off on holiday for um, August, but um, I'm uh, shooting something in New York 
first week in August, which is a personal project, which I will, when, it, when that finally comes out, I'll give you, give you, uh, ask for some of your constructive criticism on them. And uh, yeah, then it's basically straight back into into Top Gear in the autumn. And Justin, where can people get a hold of you if they want to, you know, look at your work and and maybe <coughs> communicate with you? Uh, well, my website, and I've got a um, is www.justinlayton.com. Uh, Layton spelled L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, um, and I've got contact sheets on there. Uh, you can email me through the website, and I always, you know love hearing from people so if people want to do that um you know good or bad criticism i can take both i'm big and ugly enough um that's that's the way to do it really well justin you know it's been really enlightening talking to you i've thoroughly enjoyed it i hope the guys on the call would agree that it's been a real insight and i think uh, to one final thought to leave people with is just how how real you are and how real photographers of your caliber are <laughs> very kind of you to say no we're just you know we just we you know we we've you know we've come up through you know come up through it and um, yeah I mean it's it's you know we all make mistakes and we learn from them and it's it's just good to be I just feel you know lucky to to be earning a living from doing something I you know love and hate at the in equal equal measure sometimes but and it's really good speaking to you Dan thank you very much oh. for the opportunity and. Uh, yeah, sort of. Again, well, maybe doing, we'll yeah. touch back in maybe the end of the year and sort of see how your progression is going. Because essentially, you are you are a new DSLR filmmaker. I am. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all new to me. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm. You know. There's. I look in wonder at what's going on out there, and I sort of see the people on the forums and what they're doing, and I'm. I'm. You know. It blows me away. I'm just still sort of. Again, I'm sort of. You know. 43 going on. Sort of. You know. 12 at the moment. I feel very, very excited about what's going on, and really sort of. You know. Quite sort of to be in this um, in this era of what we're doing it's all very very exciting fantastic Justin thank you so very much for your time and I look forward to speaking to you again soon and do enjoy your your time off cheers Dan all the best speak to you in the autumn yeah bye bye cheers bye